why don't we pray before we look at that passage. Father, we uh, thank you for your word and wow, we do shout and wonder at how incredible you are and we ask that you would give us another glimpse tonight of your power and your, I guess, majesty really. Just You are beyond the beyond. You are so great and we come before you as your humble servants and we ask you to speak to us in your son's name. Amen. Well, good to see you guys and hey, Daniel chapter 9, our last in this little series on Daniel. I thought I'd tell you a little bit about what's coming up uh, for next term and the term after. We're going to do Love, Sex and Marriage uh, in term one this year. Uh, looking at a Christian view of sexual relationships, of even singleness and, and being married and all sorts of things. So really laying that out, looking at the Song of Songs and a whole bunch of places, it's going to be good. Then in term two, we're looking at the Kingdom of Heaven. So wanting to follow on, we're going to have a mission at the end of term one. We want to follow on from that mission with a series which really sets out the Gospel. So looking at Matthew's Gospel. So if you want to be reading ahead for term two, Matthew's Gospel. Get into it. All right. Are you ready? Who's ready? Yeah, hands go up, it's good. Alright, three people are ready, it's good. <laughs> Daniel was a Jew living in Babylon, as we've seen, in the 6th century before Jesus Christ. That's modern day Iraq, it was called Babylonia. He was there, it's 2,600 years ago. And he was there, the Babylonians absolutely crushed Israel. They decimated Israel and they sacked Jerusalem. They crushed, they destroyed Jerusalem. It was in ruins. And some of the people were taken as captives to the land of Babylon, some 600 miles across the desert. And there they were enslaved to the Babylonians. Now Daniel is one of those captives, one of those slaves. And he was a visionary. God gave him visions of the future of the world and of history The book of Daniel may be one of the greatest proofs of the truth of the Bible because in a number of chapters, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, Daniel sets out the course of history with such accuracy that you've got to say the Bible is true. You've just got to say it. Or that Daniel wrote it after those events. But we know Daniel lived way before those events. So it was really Daniel seeing ahead of time What would happen? God revealed to him the course of history leading up to Jesus Christ. We've seen so far Daniel 7. Daniel sees a succession of beasts coming up out of the ocean, the evil chaos. And they are a series of kingdoms which will arise on the earth. Babylon, the Medes, then the Persians and finally the Greeks. They will be violent. They will oppress God's people. And then Daniel sees one like a son of man coming with the clouds. He'll be given all authority and power by God. So a real picture of Jesus. Then in chapter 8, Daniel sees another vision of the future, this time a ram, which represents the United Kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. And they're, they're wreaking havoc. They're just going in all directions, destroying Babylon, destroying many countries. But then Daniel sees this goat that comes flying across the world And it represents the Greek Empire and has one huge horn representing Alexander the Great who comes so fast across the world and conquers everything. And then the people of God are oppressed. 
and God will come, says Daniel, and he will destroy all the opponents of God's people. So it's a very, it's it's unbelievably violent, it's unbelievably appalling for Daniel to hear it. He goes to bed, he feels absolutely sick. What it's saying is there will be hundreds of years when there will be violence, when there will be oppression for the people of Israel. And that's hard news. But then one will come like a son of man and he'll be given all authority, all kingdom, all glory and the whole world will worship him. Well, tonight we're looking at Daniel 9. It's kind of the climax of Daniel's visions. I hope you've got your zine open. I hope you've found the place. 77 vision, page 3. Oh, page 7 actually. And you can follow along. There are pens on the back table if you want to grab a pen. Cool. Okay. What happens in Daniel chapter 9? Well, in Daniel 9.1 we're told, in the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent. Here he is. Here's a slide of Darius. Now, Darius is also called Cyrus by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 45. Darius is Cyrus. Cyrus is Darius. Uh, in case there was any confusion. Isaiah 45 verse 1 and verse 13. So Darius, uh, 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 Cyrus, comes to power uh, and, and takes over Babylon. In other words, the united kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, represented by the ram in chapter 8, has now conquered the Babylonians. Cyrus has come to power. Now this is a map of the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, Media and Persia. Now it's absolutely exciting for Daniel because Isaiah prophesied that Cyrus would be the one who would bring the people of Israel home to Jerusalem. In, it's 539 BC, Daniel is in his 80s, he's been exiled in Babylon nearly all his life and he's thinking about his people, when can we go home? And they're singing their songs by the rivers of Babylon. They're weeping, wanting to go home to Jerusalem. And now Cyrus has come to power. And Isaiah the prophet said, yeah, he's going to take you home. So Daniel's getting very excited, very, very excited. And Daniel is sitting at his window praying, looking out towards Jerusalem miles and miles and miles across the desert, still so far from home. And in 9 verse 1 he's praying and he's reading the scriptures. He's not just reading Isaiah the prophet, he's also reading the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah had prophesied 58 years prior, he prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem and it did happen. And Daniel is reading Jeremiah And he finds a verse that says the desolation of Jerusalem will last 70 years. Jeremiah 29 verse 10. So with Jeremiah open and the fact that that Cyrus has now come to power, Daniel turns to God and pleads and pleads and pleads with God to restore Jerusalem and take the people home. Verse 16, O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. And by praying, Daniel 
steps into God's plan to bring the Jews home. God who already promised that he would do it through Jeremiah the prophet and Isaiah. Soon Cyrus will give the decree and he will allow the people not only to return but to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And so by praying, what's happening? Daniel is becoming part of what God is already doing. What God had already said would happen. But by praying, it's like Daniel is diving in to the purposes of God and becoming part of them. Just a couple of thoughts here before we move on. Praying at one level is about seizing the initiative. But in the end, as we pray, we find out that God has already seized the initiative. This is called providence. God is everywhere and always seizing the initiative. He gets things going. He has the first word. Providence means that God is working redemptively and strategically before I even come on the scene and start praying. He's at work all the time, achieving his purposes. Secondly, praying means believing really that everything, and I mean everything, that we do in God's name is a response to what God is already doing. God was the one who started us off and even got us praying. Thirdly, we often ask questions like, what do we do and, and how do we get things going? And we've just had a planning day yesterday, planning this year for Windmill Night Church. So we can ask questions like, what do we do? But the wise question surely is, what is God already doing? What signs of his grace can I discern all around me in all the people and all the events that are happening? What has God already said in his word that he will do? What has God set in motion that I can get in on and become part of? Or maybe I'll discover when I start praying, I'll discover what God is doing when I pray and realise that I'm already part of it. So wisdom, and Daniel is about wisdom. The book of Daniel is part of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. Wisdom, is a, it starts with prayer and wisdom in the end is realising that I'm not the starting point. It doesn't begin with me. Nothing begins with me. I'm really not the, the one who started anything really. I mean, it's obvious in our work here. I'm certainly not the one who's doing it. God has been doing it for so long and he's involved me and he's involved you. But he is the one who is the start of everything that is going on in his name. Recently, Jeff and Chrissy have joined our church. Come on, you guys. Uh, and look... We've been praying for a long time for someone to help with some of the organisational tasks that, that we have, coordinating services, putting our leadership development program into place, all kinds of things. And I've certainly been praying about it and I'm a bit management challenged, if you know what I mean. Uh, and there's lots that we're doing and we're growing and all sorts of live groups are happening and things are starting. 
So I've really been praying for quite some time, hey God, please send me someone, especially someone a bit younger than myself who has sensibilities that relate to you guys who are younger. And yeah, a couple of weeks ago, bump into Jeff, start talking. Jeff says he's interested in da 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 da. We talk, we talk every day. <laughs> We've been talking every day since uh, and meeting up practically. Uh, and so Jeff's come on board to be helping out with, with organising our services and doing a whole bunch of stuff. We met in the Ori, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it pays to have coffee in the Ori, it's absolutely true. But, you know, it's just so encouraging for me that, you know, I'm stressing, oh gosh, how, how am I possibly going to do all the stuff we're doing? And Jeff helped out with the planning day yesterday. But God was already at work to answer my prayers before I even pray them. And Jeff and I have been getting to know each other over three or so years in the Ori as we just chatted to each other. So God was at work. I don't know where all that's going, we don't know. But it's just so encouraging to know that I'm not the doer. I'm just getting in on what God is already setting in motion. And when I pray, I discover that and become part of that. Okay. Every conversation, every committee group that I sit on, every house that I visit, God is already there. And God has been there a very long time preparing the way. And the fact that I'm going to that thing and visiting that person and joining that committee, God is sending me. God is the one behind it all. It's called Providence. I like walking into meetings that are complex, like the planning day yesterday, very complex, and realising God has it in hand. God's got it. God's got it sorted even before I start to worry. Like working out live groups and we've been thinking through how do we get live groups started this year and we want some more live groups to be starting and thinking through who will lead them and all of those complexities and getting it. I got a really big headache yesterday and I went home with this massive headache. I couldn't sleep all night actually. And there am I watching Day of the Triffids, my other favourite horror B-grade movie. Uh, and what should happen But I got this text message. Hey Dave, sorry it's late, thank you. I just wanted to say it was awesome, the planning day. It was so great seeing the Lord moving and the fire burning hard in the uh, people's hearts. Anyway, since I heard that one of the groups needed a leader for this year, I've been praying and I feel a really strong call to this group. I know you're busy getting ready to go away. But if there's any chance that we can, could meet up one day this week, that'd be great. I just think, wow. Those, those kinds of things happen every week to me. I'm worried and I'm, but I'm praying and suddenly God in the background is sorting it out anyway. How good is that? How good is that? And it just rolls on and on and on and on. If only we are praying and open to what God is doing. And so by praying, Daniel steps in to what God was doing all the time. And because Daniel prays, God reveals to Daniel more of what God is doing, as we'll see. And I think when we pray, God reveals more of what he's doing among us. And so when we pray, we get caught up into something incredible. The purposes of God. It's like diving into a fast moving stream. Had a lot of rivers recently in Queensland. 
It's like diving into one of those rivers. God's purposes are just flowing on. But by praying, we become part of that. And while Daniel is reading and confessing, and a lot of this is just confessing the sins of Israel to God, confessing and urging God now to act, to turn his anger away from Israel, to restore Jerusalem. He's praying, he's reading, he's got the word of God open before him, he's trying to understand what God is doing and he's praying into that situation, praying into the purposes of God. And then God is already on the move, verse 20. Again, this is striking. As soon as Daniel's prayer is on his lips, God is already answering him. God is on the move to answer us even before we're even praying. And God sends a messenger to Daniel, Gabriel, the angel. We met Gabriel last week. And Gabriel says these absolutely astonishing words. Verse 22. Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. This is what Daniel's about, wisdom. Insight, understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and for your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Wow. Okay, what's Gabriel's message to Daniel? See, Daniel, he's trying to understand Jeremiah's prophecy that Jerusalem will be restored after 70 years of desolation. He realises, Daniel realises the 70 years are almost up and he's praying it will now end. And Gabriel, what does Gabriel say? Gabriel stretches Daniel's view. Daniel is looking for God's plan over 70 years And Gabriel says, verse 24, God's plan for Jerusalem stretches over 70 weeks of years. See that? 77s or 70 times 7 years. What is this 70 times 7 years? It's like that phrase, a month of Sundays. It won't just take one Sunday, it's going to take a month of Sundays. It's going to take not just 70 years, it's going to take... 70 weeks of years. So Gabriel is, is setting Daniel's sights on a much bigger agenda here. I guess 70 times 7 adds up to... 490. Well done. Now this number needs to be taken loosely. Numbers are symbolic in this kind of prophecy. Remember when Peter says to Jesus, how many times do I forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, 70 times 7 you ought to forgive your brother. Now, does that mean we add up each time we forgive our brother till we get to 490 and then we whack them? Uh, of course not. So, what's Jesus saying there? He's saying, well, 70 times 7, i.e. a really long time. Just go on forgiving and forgiving and forgiving your brother. So, in biblical times, the number 7 was seen as the number of completeness and fullness and perfection. So, by using this phrase, 70 times 7, which is 7 times 7, so 7 squared times 10, that's just saying it's going to take a long time. In other words, it'll happen in the fullness, the perfection of time, in the completeness 
of time. It will happen. So this is really a a sort of symbolic way of saying it's about some ultimate fulfilment at some ultimate point of history. That's what these numbers mean. Get that, maybe the word fullness or ultimate? There will be a fulfilment. It will be really full and really filled at this time. This is some ultimate um, fulfilment of God's promises, which may or may not be 490 years. It's a bit like little kids in the car, you know, well, most of us who've had kids, we've had this experience, you know, are we there yet? Uh, No. (laughs) Are we there yet? No. It's a really, really long way to Melbourne. We're not there yet. We've just been travelling an hour. We'll be there in the fullness of time. We'll be there in 70 times 7. So you get what uh, Gabriel is saying here. Something's going to happen at some ultimate time, 70 times 7. Six things, in fact, you can see them on your, the zines. Transgression will end, sin will end, wickedness will be atoned for, everlasting righteousness will come, all prophecy will be signed, sealed and delivered and a most holy one will be anointed. Now, when you anoint someone, that's, that's like the word Messiah. The anointed one is the Messiah, the Christ. So, a Christ or a Messiah will come. And Gabriel is saying it's going to take a long time before the people of God are restored fully and completely. Jerusalem may be rebuilt at the end of 70 years and God will keep his promise. He will take the people back to Jerusalem. But it's going to take 70 times 7 to deal with the problem of sin once and for all to restore the people of God so that they truly serve God. So God has an ultimate plan for the restoration of Jerusalem. It's a 70 times 7 plan. What's Gabriel talking about with these six things, do you think? Transgression finished, sin has been put to an end, wickedness has been atoned for, everlasting righteousness has been brought in, prophecy signed, sealed and delivered, a Messiah coming. Who are we talking about? Kingdom of God with Jesus, yeah. I mean, as Christians, we read that and we go, yeah, there's only one time in history when sins were dealt with and atoned for absolutely once and for all in some ultimate way and it was when Jesus died on the cross. That's when God dealt with the problem of sin, not only for Israel, but for all people. So it's this ultimate fulfilment. It really is. Jesus' death really is restoring Jesus absolutely and fully. And Jesus came roughly 490 years after Daniel. Ephesians 1 puts it this way and I love Ephesians 1 verse 7 and there are shades of Daniel all through what Paul says. Talking about Jesus. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us and with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfilment. I.e. the 70 times 7 fulfilment happened with Jesus Christ, his death for us. Okay, easy so far, yeah? Feeling confident? (laughs) Alright, verse 25 gets crazy and this is where a lot of, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, fundamentalist crazies 
get a lot of weird stuff out of these verses coming up right now. I'm saying I'm not one of those people. <laughs> um, but I was. I was for, for 20 or so years in my life. Um, verse 25. No one understands this. From the issuing of the decree, you know, that's Cyrus's decree for the, uh, to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes. There will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It, it will be rebuilt with streets in a trench but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off, that is put to death, and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and the desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering and on a wing of the temple he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. (laughs) All right. Well, there are three periods that Daniel talks about here. He divides the 70 into three periods. First seven sevens, then 62 sevens, then one seven. In the first two periods, Jerusalem is restored. In the beginning of the last week of years, the anointed one shows up and then is cut off or killed. And from, from many believe that's talking about Jesus' death and Jesus, the anointed one, was cut off and killed. And there are other details here that kind of fit with the history before Jesus, leading up to his death. That was my short answer. But what's the point <laughs> of this? You know, and this is what we need to really ask when we're reading prophecies like this. What is really God saying to Daniel? What would, what would Daniel have understood? And the church might have speculated about it for you know, hundreds and hundreds of years but if you were Daniel 2,600 years ago and you heard this prophecy, what would you think it meant? I mean, is God just playing number games? 7, 7, 6, 2, 7, 1, 7. You know, is this some weird puzzle Daniel's meant to figure out? No. It's just real simple. Here we go. God is saying to Daniel, I will restore Jerusalem. That's what Daniel wants to know. When can the people go home? Well, God says, yes, I will fulfil my promise to my people. Jerusalem will be rebuilt. So why does he then break it into three time periods like he does? Well, if you were Daniel, what would you have picked up from these time frames? It's saying, really God is saying, I'm in control of time and the times. I've set the times and there will be a time and periods of time and various things will happen but in the long run I'll achieve my purposes. So he's just saying, hey, there are times that are set. Daniel wouldn't know what they really meant but I am the Lord of that time and those times. The future is mapped out, it's in my hands and I will come quickly and not delay and I will restore Jerusalem but there is a bigger agenda here too. There's some ultimate restoration of Jerusalem I also have in mind. It will involve the Messiah dying and other abominations and further persecution of God's people he mentions here in this little section. 
And Gabriel is saying, essentially, this is bigger than you think, Daniel. There's a bigger picture. This is not just about Jerusalem going back, you know, and rebuilding the temple or the walls of Jerusalem. That's just the beginning. There is a completeness of years, a 70 times 7 completeness. One day God will act in history in some complete and ultimate way and fulfil his purposes. Now we know as Christians that that has started with Jesus' death on the cross. We also believe as Christians that the final end of the end is still coming and that Jesus' death set off a process as the gospel goes out to the world, there are still persecutions and abominations that are going on in this world. And God is still working his purposes out in the midst of all the turmoil, the suffering, the opposition to God's people that is going on. And, but God is doing something on a massive, massive scale. A 70 times 7 scale. And look, Jesus picks this imagery up. There'll be wars and rumours of wars. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom but the end is not yet. And you will see false Christ, many saying, I am he, do not be alarmed. And there will be persecution, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And the gospel must first be preached to the world. And when you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand, the reader of Daniel he's talking about. Let the reader of Daniel now understand Daniel's prophecy that those things are about to take place. It is right at the door, any hour or day. Only the Father knows that hour. So be on guard, watch, be ready. And you will see the Son of Man coming with the clouds and with great power and glory and sending out his angels to gather in the people of God. In other words, there Jesus is quoted just about every heavy phrase from Daniel 7, 8 and 9. And the book of Revelation picks up the same kind of imagery and it's really saying, hey, it's, Jesus' death was an abomination. It was a terrible thing where the kingdoms of this world rallied against the people of God in some climactic way and yet God triumphed over the kingdoms of this world through Jesus' death death. But that was just the beginning of more and more abominations and persecutions which would continue. And so Revelation picks that theme up and talks about Rome and all the persecution that the Romans are then um, putting on the people of God and it goes on even now into this day and age. Turmoil, strife, brother against brother, being betrayed, handed over to the councils, all those things Jesus talks of in Mark chapter 13. So this is really what Daniel is saying. God has this big view in in mind but it will involve abominations and persecutions but the Son of Man will come and triumph. I love Acts chapter 1. At the end of Jesus' life on earth in his final moments with his disciples the disciples ask the obvious question uh, and I, you know, in, in a sense, we ought to be asking this question also, having read through the Gospels. They say, "Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel?" 
For you at this time, now, finally, are you going to restore the kingdom that you promised to Daniel? Are you now going to do it? I mean, it's been 490 years that we have been waiting and the Babylonians have taken over, the Persians, the Medes, the Greeks and now the Romans. Are you now, finally, going to restore the kingdom to Israel? The Messiah has come, he's been cut off, all the prophecies of Daniel, surely now the kingdom will come fully and finally to this earth. See what the question is? Are you now going to do it? Please, do it. I reckon they would have been absolutely devastated by Jesus' answer. Jesus says, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. It's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set. Oh man. Gosh. Are you saying, Jesus, it's going to go longer? Yeah. It's just going to keep going on. But don't worry. It will happen. It will come to an end one day. But here's your job. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then after that he was gone. Bye and he's off. He ascends to the Father. Isn't that amazing? Okay guys, sorry to break it to you. It's going to go on for another few thousand years. And you are going to take the message of my kingdom to the nations because it's bigger than you think. And this really isn't about the restoration of Israel or the kingdom just to Israel, but it's about the salvation of the whole world. That was always God's plan. And this, says Jesus, is just the beginning. You go tell the world... I didn't just come to restore Israel, I've got a bigger agenda. A couple of points as we close. So what happens when we pray? It's bigger than we think. It's it's just bigger. Our prayers like Daniel's might deal with the here and now and most of our prayers are about us and what we're doing and people around us. But the exciting thing is that as God answers our immediate prayers, He's got the bigger view in mind. And we might even have foresight like Daniel to be praying about 70 years for our whole nation but God's view includes 70 times 7 years and all eternity. And if Daniel needed his short-sighted vision expanded to 70 times 7, surely we do too. We can be so focused on ourselves in our own marriages, our own homes, our own kids, our own parents, our own groups, our own schools, our own work, our own church. But his plans take into account all the world, all of creation and all of eternity. 
Let's find it interesting that when people predict the end of the world based on things like Daniel 9, I think wrongly, they always predict it within their own generation. <laughs> I think it's kind of cute. You know, nobody predicts the end of the world, you know, 3011. It's always their generation. But that's not what Daniel 9's about. It's about something far, far bigger. The amazing thing is God doesn't ignore the 70 year prophecy for the sake of the 70 times 7 year prophecy nor does he ignore the 70 times 7 year prophecy for the sake of the 70 year prophecy. He fulfills his short term promises as well as his long term promises. And God saves individuals. He doesn't just ignore individuals for the sake of nations nor does he ignore nations as he works out his plans for the whole of creation. In fact, God will use a nation to save all of creation and he'll use an individual to save all of a nation. I mean, our minds are too small. We need this eternal big perspective of 70 times 7. In a world where we're forever asking, what have you done for me lately, God? We need to know that God works in the now, the near future and the distant future and he's working out his purposes through all things, the here, the there and the everywhere. And as he achieves this over here, it's really so that big agenda is going to be achieved way in the future and as he does this thing over there, it's building up to that other thing over there and it's all interrelated and God has it all in mind. Now this keeps us humble and hopeful. God is at work. Let's look to him and everything he's doing around us and among us, all he has promised and all we see and gain great hope from that even though things are tough sometimes. Our God is a God of all ages, the God of deep time. (laughs) If you want to step into immensity, start praying. Start praying. Well, what will your prayers be? And what will God do this year with us as we pray? Well, whatever it is, it's going to be bigger than we think and have implications for longer term and for things way in the future that we wouldn't have even imagined. God is the God of deep time. Amen.